Happy Father's Day, Grandfather's Day, and Surrogate Father's Day. We are thankful for the model that many of you men give to the next generation. I hope you have a wonderful day. If you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs 1, verses 7 to 9. While you're turning to Proverbs 1, 7 to 9, let me just put a plug in for last Monday's third Monday message. Uh, Andrew, Pastor Andrew, uh, wrote a message on reconciliation and unity and race relationships. I had the privilege of reading it before he preached it, and it's on our website. I think he did a great job. I learned from it. I was blessed by it, and I would highly recommend it to any of you. Let's uh, turn to the Lord in prayer. Father God, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a day that celebrates those men in our lives, fathers and grandfathers, great-grandfathers, father figures who have invested in us, who have modeled godliness for us, who have sacrificed in many ways, known and unknown. We ask, Father, that you would bless those men Give them a great day and encourage their hearts as they help us to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we also think of our nation. Father, we have been talking, and, and rightly so, about the need to value every person, for all people are made in your image. Father, we pray that we would value every person whether they have the same color of skin or the same nationality or the same values. We pray, Father, that we would see people as you see people, that we would love people as you love people, that we would model this well as individuals, as families, and as a church. And Father, for those individuals who have been devalued, who have been mistreated, we ask for your comfort. And we ask for forgiveness if we've been part of that. And that we would reconcile and that we would see individuals truly as you do. We pray for our world with COVID-19, especially for those in the third world that could face horrific ravaging from a pandemic that could sweep through and has indeed swept through certain parts of our world. We pray not only for our nation, but people all across the globe that you would be merciful and gracious. Father, we pray that you would be with those who are on the front lines and protecting health. And we ask, Father, that the pandemic would end and that healing would begin. Father, be with us as we look at your word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. As I thought about Father's Day, I thought about a story that Paul Harvey tells. It's of a father who went out in the backyard. He saw his five-year-old daughter 
and she was brushing the teeth of the family dog. Well, you can imagine that the father was a bit curious, and he said, Honey, what are you doing? And she said, Don't worry, Dad. I'll put your toothbrush back. I always do. And isn't that the way parenting sometimes is? We are so blessed, we who are parents or grandparents or surrogate parents, I think that there are few roles that are more rewarding. Unfortunately, in our world, we have a lot of self-proclaimed experts on parenting. I'm not one of them. I'm a practitioner like many of you. And I have been blessed to learn from others who have gone before me. And I want to share a few of the lessons that Betty Ann and I have observed from others and tried to apply into our life. First, I think godly parents make the gospel and Bible instruction preeminent. The gospel is salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. If our kids don't learn how to kick a ball, throw a ball, bounce a ball, or catch a ball... All is not eternally lost, but we want them to know the gospel. That we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty of sin, which is death by dying on the cross. That if by faith we would believe and receive him as Savior and Lord, we would be given eternal life. And God has given us a manual. 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament books. We want to make the Bible, and the gospel central in our lives. The second thing I think of is godly boundaries. Godly parents set up godly boundaries. God does not intend for a child to rule the roost. God intends for parents to set down parameters that are wise, gentle, and biblical. And to enforce those parameters in kind, gentle ways. And if we're not doing that, we need to take the next step in our relationship with Jesus Christ and set those up. Children who rule the roost will probably be less secure and may very well not end up as godly as they might. Third, I think godly homes adapt for each child. I'm not saying that the rules change for each child. I'm saying that we adapt to each child's strengths and challenge areas. Susie may have straight A's and Johnny may struggle for C pluses and B minuses and actually put more effort into it. And if we're not careful, we put Susie's report card on the refrigerator and we don't put her brothers on because it wasn't as good. And we are subtly comparing. Evaluate the strengths of your children. Encourage them to excel in all areas. But don't compare. Adapt for each child. Fourth, I think we need broad rules rather than a basket full of rules. I think of Scripture. In Scripture, God has 613 Old Testament laws, but what did he do for us? He summarized them by the Ten Commandments. 
I tried a little experiment. I was asked to speak to the mops mothers, and I said, hey, I want you to write down the Ten Commandments. No talking, no opening your Bible. I just wanted to make the point that sometimes we even struggle for ten rules. Imagine hundreds of rules that we expect our kids to understand. So I'm thinking of broad rules. Of course, the Ten Commandments are unsurpassed, perfect. But maybe these broad rules could stand alongside it. I have seven. In our family, we honor God. In our family, we honor people. In our family, we honor truth. In our family, we honor work. In our family, we honor responsibility. In our family, we honor learning. And in our family, we honor church activities. Imagine how many of the rules that we have in our home actually fit under those seven rubrics. So if we narrow the number of rules in the house but make them broad, and we ask our kids, and we train our kids to follow those broad rules, I think it's easier to follow. It's more understandable. It's more memorable. And I think we might see less rebellion. Fifth. I think godly families model grace. Grace is second chances. Grace is empathy. Grace is forgiveness. We are recipients of grace. We ought to model grace. Six, I want to remind myself that parenting is not about preventing parental embarrassment. To put it another way, we don't parent so that we are not embarrassed by our kids. Recently, I was talking to a gal, and she said, you know, I'm not always sure what I should do in discipline. And I said, well, I think one of our difficulties is that we parent for the moment. We ought to parent for the model we're striving after. So if we think in our minds... How do we dialogue? How do we discuss? How do we debate? How do we discipline in order to have a mature, godly woman or a mature, godly man that I think will parent well? We don't parent for the moment. We don't parent to prevent personal embarrassment. We parent for a result in the future of a godly woman and a godly man. Seventh, I think godly homes teach the principle of delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is what we don't do well as a nation. We have a buy now, pay later mentality. We have it at many levels of government. We have it in many homes where there are exceptional amounts of debt. We need to model for the next generation, and even for ourselves, save first, buy when you have cash in hand. This idea of delayed gratification actually corresponds to many areas of life. We have this idea that people ought to sleep with whoever they want to sleep with, rather than waiting till marriage. Well, what's the problem? We haven't taught well delayed gratification, waiting to the proper time. Number eight, 
controlled voice levels. As I think of my grandbaby, I want, if she ever hears me yell, I want her to know that she's in danger. I don't want her to hear me yell and think she's in trouble. I want her to know, oh, I better freeze. I might be hit by a car. I think we need to learn more self-control. We don't need to be yelling in our marriages. We don't need to be yelling at our kids. Yelling is to warn somebody of imminent danger. I think godly parenting learns more and more to control the voice levels through which we parent. And nine, I think godly parents know that we can't spoil our children with love. But we can spoil them with too many possessions, permissive parenting, or we could spoil them by having our kids raise themselves. So those are a few thoughts that I have, that I have learned, that I have observed from some of you godly parents, some of you godly fathers and grandfathers, and thank you for the model that you have given to me. Well, today's biblical text talks about parenting. It's a familiar one. I want to read from Proverbs 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. As you and I begin, the text tells us to fear the Lord. The Hebrew word yaharat, to fear the Lord. Now we have to ask, what does this word yara mean? It's, it's a theological term. It does mean awe. It, it does mean reverence. And by the way, reverence is not telling a, a seven-year-old, stop running in the church halls. Reverence really doesn't mean that you got to wear a dress or you got to wear a jacket and tie. Reverence is what we think and how we act towards God. Reverence is thinking great thoughts about the majesty, the lordship, the otherliness of God. And I want to grow in my understanding of the awesomeness. I love that word because I think that's what Yarat is. The awesomeness of God. I want to think grandiose thoughts of God. I want to think grandiose thoughts of God's word. And I want to grow in this, and I want to pass this on to the next generation. But this word yarat means more than awe or otherliness. It also means dread. It means trepidation. Now, I suspect to our society today, it's already a big swallow to say you have to have awe for God and his word. And it's a double swallow to say that you have to have trepidation and dread for God and his word. But that's what scripture says. Now let's put this into context because all of it simultaneously is true. Why would I dread God? Well, I think the highest motivation to obey God 
is out of respect for God. It's an act of worship towards God. It's loving God. It's the right response to who God is. But there are times, maybe not for you, I'm kind of shallow, you're deep, but there are times, I've got to tell you, that I obey, not because it's a worshipful response, that's what I want to do, that would be the right response always, but there's also a biblical aspect in which sometimes I obey because I do not want to be disciplined by the Lord. That's also part of this word, yarat, fear. It's a spectrum. And we need both sides. On the one side, I see in Scripture in Luke 7, 34, that we are a friend of Jesus. Praise the Lord. I also see in, in Scripture that God has given us in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, the right to call him Abba. Can you imagine that? Abba is an Aramaic word. It means Papa. It means Daddy. I kind of vision it this way. I have a, a two-year-old Grandy, Ray Ray. And I'll walk over and she'll be in her yard. And, and I'll see her before she sees me. And I'll say, hey, you! You, I'm talking to you. And she'll look up and she'll throw her hands in the air and she'll yell, Popo, Popo. And she'll run to me and I'll pick her up and she'll put her head on my shoulder. And now while she puts her head on her po my shoulder, she starts patting my back. And she says, Popo, Popo, Popo. And it's an intimacy between us. That's what I'm privileged. To do to the Lord. Hebrews tells us he will never leave us, never forsake us. Romans tells us he's Abba God. Luke 7 says that he is a friend. And yet there's another side to it, isn't there? There's also the reverential respect, the dread, the trepidation. Hebrews 10.31 says it is a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. And so teaching my generation and the generation that follows me and the generation that follows that to teach the next generation what this idea of fearing God is all about is that spectrum. So how do we teach the spectrum of joyous awe and even trepidation for disobedience how do we teach the fear of the Lord? Well, I think it's how we interact with God in front of the next generation. And some of you do this so incredibly well. It might be how we pray at dinner or before we go to bed and we thank God. And we praise God and, and we have such familiarity with God. Or we're out in nature and we remind the next generation that God created the heavens and the earth. That the splendor is God's. He created. What a great God. And we sing for joy with the next generation. And we sing in church before the next generation. And our hearts are filled with joy. But yet we also want to teach them that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. It's a fearful thing to disobey God. And so we want to also talk about 
loving God so much that we obey. And when we disobey, God is a gracious heavenly father who chastises us. All of this is part of teaching the fear of God. Now, I would say in, in our world, we might have that swallow and double swallow on a regular basis because many don't have this awe of God that we need, this joyful awe. But I would say even less have a respect and even a dread and trepidation towards God. We have this God as the dodger in the sky, my, my good buddy upstairs, the man upstairs, and, and we're just a bit too cavalier with God. I think of the two passages where we are given a glimpse into the throne room of God, Isaiah 6, Revelation 4 and 5, and here we have angelic beings, but not just angels. We have the highest of highest of highest of angelic beings, and they're surrounding God, and they will not make eye contact with the Almighty. They cover their eyes. They cover their face. And what do they say? They don't say, buddy, buddy, buddy. They don't even sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. They sing, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I'm not putting down a hymn like what a friend we have in Jesus. Because I think that's right out of Luke 7.34. But it's only part of the spectrum. We need the whole spectrum. We need to live out the whole spectrum. We need to model the whole spectrum for the next generation. This is part of teaching the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Many of you moms, dads, grandmas, granddads, surrogate dads, you have taught this so well. Thank you. It's part of the parental role. Another part of the parental role is verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Immediately, we can look at the text and say, oh, there is a clear application in the text, and that application is that fathers and mothers teach and instruct hand in hand, stride in stride, together as a team. It's interesting because the words used are synonyms. One is not more important than the other, or the other more important. It is a team concept. This is incredible. Solomon is writing from 970 to 930 B.C. He's writing 3,000 years ago. He's tragically writing in a time period where the feminine voice all across the globe was sinfully, wickedly devalued, but not in God's economy. In God's economy, what we have is a husband and wife working together as a team to instruct, to teach the next generation. And what are they teaching the next generation? They're teaching about God. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. We need parental teaching. Pity the child. That has mom saying one thing and dad saying another. Pity the child 
that is able to pit dad against mom and mom against dad. Pity the child who knows which parent to ask to get what they want. Pity the child who knows how to manipulate and divide and conquer between mom and dad. The idea is that they parent together. They parent as a team. And if they parent as a team, there is a higher probability that they will end up with a mature, godly woman or man. Notice the words I carefully chose. A higher probability. It's not a promise. It's a proverb. In fact, the proverb that is often cited, one of my favorites, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he grows old, when she grows old, he, she will not depart from it. Proverbs, mashals, are general truths. They're maxims for living. And if we make Proverbs into promises, we abuse Scripture. Because that's not how this genre works. We all know godly, outstanding parents who have wayward children. We all know that. It's a probability increaser. That's what a proverb is. It's saying if we train up the child in the way he should go, if we teach him the fear of God, if we parent as a team, a couple, we don't allow son and daughter to play father and mother off of one another. If we do that, we increase the probability of a godly woman, a godly man, when we're aiming for that, that desired finished product, we increase the probability, but it is not a promise. All we do is increase the probability. I think of God the Father. Has there ever been, will there ever be a better father? He's the perfect father. And yet, frankly, he has some rebellious children. And some of us are among them. If we know Jesus, we're his children. And yet sometimes we're rebellious. But the more we know about God, hopefully, prayerfully, the less rebellious we will be. And that's the principle of Proverbs the more our children see in us godliness, hear from us godliness, we decrease the probability that they will wander. Will some still wander? Yes. Do we have incredible, godly, magnificent parents with wandering kids? Yes, we do. And it breaks our heart, but it is reality when children can choose. Verses 7 and 9 underscores the primary role for parents, it's to teach moral, ethical, spiritual truths from God to the next generation with the desire, the prayerful desire of a godly woman or man. That's what we, you, I, we are aiming for. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to model for that next generation. One of the highlights, can you actually say this next statement? One of the highlights of COVID-19 for me, <laughs> how can I even say that, is when a mother from Highland emailed me and said, for the first time, we're having family devotion. Yes! I love it! That is a big win. And when you hear the word family devotions, I know what happens. Some of us, our eyes gloss over, or we stop listening, or 
we figure that's for somebody else, it's not for me. Please don't think that. Don't think that. Betty Ann and I right now are reading through the Psalms. Family devotions when we had kids at home. When they were young, we went through children Bibles. I think we went through 12 or 13 of them. Then we got to uh, a bigger Bible, and, and we didn't read Numbers. We didn't read Leviticus or Revelation, great books, but that's probably not where I would start. Start with the Gospel, Mark, or Ephesians, a little bit of theology, a little bit of practical application, or First and Second Corinthians, which is as contemporary as today's newspaper. And... And do what is realistic. Don't say, you know, we are going to start family devotions. We're going to have them 365 days a year. Set aside an hour every day for our family devotions. And you're going to like it. I think that is never going to work. At least it's not for my shallow family. Three or four days a week. Five minutes, six minutes. When the kids were younger... We would have dinner on the table, we'd pray, and, and then I'd read. I always had a study Bible. If I didn't know what the text meant, I looked at the study notes so I could look intelligent and kind of summarize the study notes if we had a question. Whatever. Uh, Betty Ann and I were reading through the Psalms. I read the whole Psalm, or if it's a long Psalm, we cut it into two nights, or if it's a really long Psalm, we cut it into three. I almost never even make a comment. I just... Read the text so we hear the word of God. It takes four minutes, four minutes, five minutes. But if we're consistent and we keep doing that over and over again, we teach the Lord, we teach the fear of the Lord, we teach the word of the Lord. Parents, eternally, eternally, what would happen if your child never learned to kick a ball, throw a ball, hit a ball, catch a ball? Eternally. What would happen if your child could not read a note of music, could not draw or paint? Eternally, what would happen if you didn't raise a salutatorian or a valedictorian or an honor society student? I'm not saying those are bad things. They're great things. I want them for your kids. I want them for mine, of course. But eternally, what happens if we do not teach them about the gospel and we do not share the truths of Scripture? We live in an either-or world. It's one of my, my gripes with Facebook. It's one of my gripes with Twitter. In one or two or three very jaded sentences, we always present either or. Can't it be both and? Can't we teach the fear of the Lord and the truth of Scripture and the importance of academics and the arts and music and sports? Is one more important than the other? Yes. But why can't it be a both and? I think that's great parenting. And some of you, are incredible models to me. Thank you for the model of parenting, grandparenting that you have been to me. I want to take the next step in my relationship with Jesus Christ, especially as it comes to parenting and grandparenting. And I believe that many of you do as well.
May we take God's word, apply it to our lives, and be the best parents, grandparents, surrogate parents that we can. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for Proverbs 1, 7 to 9. I thank you for what it teaches me, what it reminds me of. And I thank you for some incredible men at Highland. Godly fathers and grandfathers, great-grandfathers, father figures, people who have built into my life and the life of my kids. May you bless them and give them a great day. And Father, may we all take the next step in our relationship with you as young people to imitate those godly people in front of us. And for some of us who are a little more seasoned in years, to also take the next step in our parenting, grandparenting, and modeling motive for others. Father, work in and through us for our betterment and your glory. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.